0: This audio is from the Axis Church and is from our sermon series, The Gospel of Matthew, Following the Unexpected King. For more information about the Axis Church or its mission in Nashville, Tennessee, go to theaxischurch.org. What I want to do is 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 share a little bit of history, a little backstory. And then something that I want to press upon us with a the, with the large chunk of our time is just something that has to stay in our present tense as a church at all times. It must never be past. It must never be hopeful in the future. It must be present with us all the time. I'm going to press there a lot in a minute. But first, I want to look back. And I want to celebrate with you and show you some things and, and some pictures and some stories and, and catch you up to date with where we are today. I'm not going to talk a lot about the future because the present tense issue that I want to press upon us, it will get us to where we need to be in the future. It's going to be hang out in that present tense. It's going to make the most sense for us as we move forward. So Seven years ago, um, I was wrestling through a call, and during this time, I was friends with a guy named Brandon, uh, who was engaged to a girl named Rebecca. And I was working through a lot of these like church planning dreams and ideas. and And he's here. Would y'all stand real quick? This is Brandon and Rebecca. Come on, stand up. They're here today. Thanks for being here, y'all. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, they, I was wrestling with a lot of church stuff with him in Charlotte. Um, so thanks for being here, man. Um, Quite a journey with you. Um, so, seven years ago, we were working through this church plant thing that we were wanting to do in, in Nashville. And my family and I have now been in Nashville um, five and a half years. It was five years this past July 7th, is when we actually moved our family here. Uh, but the call to plant came long before then. Um, and as the call was working out, I was working through uh, with a guy named Daniel uh, and Brandon, and and trying to develop strategy and focus and, and demographic research and all that stuff. I had to have a packet of information. I had to have logos. I had to like present things to people as far as like a church plant in Nashville. What's it look like? I got to raise support, etc. So I had to become my own graphic artist. And so I want to show you the very first logo of the Axis Church. Well, That's awesome, y'all. The orange dot is compelling, right? That's just, it's so intentional. It's it's there on purpose. And then here's 2.0. I got better at publisher, all right? And then uh, Pastor Jacob and his skill brought about the third one, which we held on to for a long time. And then Pastor Jacob revised this one. Um, Clearly, um, he had a didn't have much to build on from my skill. Um, and he's done a fantastic job with that. Um, so my family and I, we, we parachuted in, um, that's our crew earlier this year. Um, or last yeah, earlier this year and, um, parachuting into a city as a church planner, that's lingo, that's terminology for dropping into a city without connections on the ground. Um, we had Jill's older cousin, a uh, 60 plus year old musician here, and then an old college friend of ours that we are still friends with uh, here in Nashville. Those were the two only connections that we had on the ground uh, when we dropped in. So we dropped in, and we had probably close to 12 people who were going to jump out of the plane with us, so to speak. Um, and we had close to $300,000 promised us that once we hit the ground, these, these people are jumping and this money's coming. So we jump out the plane and <laughs> there's no other supplies hitting the ground with us. There's no other people hitting the ground with us. Um, it's us, which looking back was radical mercy of God as he was teaching me not to trust in the people that's going with me or to trust in the money that's going with me, to, to trust in him and that he is sufficient. A hard lesson to learn day one of a church planner, but what an important lesson uh, to relearn and relearn every day. We, we so quickly drift from, from knowing that. Um, so we initially came to Nashville um, to reach a specific demographic. Okay, we wanted to reach the 18 to 38 year old person that was absent for the most part in your uh, traditional churches in the South. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the idea of going and being a part of a youth group and then not really knowing what to do with with big church. And so you kind of just drift and find community elsewhere because the big church didn't seem to relate. And so as a youth pastor, I would see these kids raised and brought up and I'd love them and care for them. They would have communion, communion, they would have community. And then we did do that too, but we had community and then they wouldn't find community in the local church. And so that was producing this uh, call in my heart for that demographic. And then early on the access now, when we planted here, it was for a very specific 18 to 38 year old person. And this has become somewhat uh, comical uh, in the the life of our church, this demographic. So here you go. It's memorized. I can't help it. But we moved here to reach the 18 to 38-year-old, hip, cool, trendy, artistic, herbal green, tattooed, pierced, punk, post-postmodern, urbanite city dweller of Nashville. That's it. Just to be specific. Um, So of course, we want to reach and relate to many more people than that that are outside the creative class. But I knew as someone who was a part of the church that there, was, um, there wasn't a true place for the creatives, 18 and 38-year-old creatives in the traditional church. And so we moved here for that specific person because it seems that Nashville gathers that particular type of individual. So in moving here... We wanted to find a place to land and settle and, and love on a particular neighborhood because Nashville's kind of big and we were like five. All right? Me, and my wife, and, and three kids at the time. Um, it's, it's hard to even have anything measurable if you're just looking at Nashville. Um, and so it was then uh, I would meet people on Facebook and set up meetings and meet strangers. And if you liked God on Facebook, Uh, And you lived in Nashville, we would hang out. I would pursue you. It was kind of awkward, but I didn't have leads, right? And so I was having to go with what I could go with. And, uh, And this one guy reached out to me, which was like awesome. Um, he still lives here in the neighborhood. He was here at our first service. His name's Chris Redditch. We had a hot dog over here on Fifth Avenue North, what used to be Zachy's Hot Dogs. And, uh, and he invited me to the neighborhood, drove me around the neighborhood, uh, wanted me to fall in love with the neighborhood. He was introducing me to people in the neighborhood. I'm like, man, this guy really loves this place. And I began to fall in love with this neighborhood here as well. So we decided to make this our initiative, Salem Town, Germantown. And uh, it's where we wanted to initially serve and love on these people. Um, it's, it's there that I began studying Germantown, and I realized some cool little trends and facts. Is This is Nashville's very first suburb. Its very first neighborhood is, is right here. This was out of town. This was, like, way over there. Um, it's where Nashville gave the Germans uh, a plot of land so that they could celebrate their culture and tradition and have community without interfering with Nashville civilian life. You see, they were brought here to build the state capital. It was built by the Germans. So they were builders. And the huge brick abandoned building was the butcher. The Germans were butchers and they were builders. And this was their area. This was their neighborhood. But a lot has happened in our neighborhood since 1859 when the state capital was completed. As of late, this neighborhood, Nashville in general, specifically this neighborhood, has experienced a real estate explosion. You've seen it if you've been with us any amount of time at all, just driving in and out of this neighborhood. Or if you live in this neighborhood, you know the transition that this place is in. The condos, the homes, the duplexes, they're popping up everywhere. Things are getting higher. Things are, 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 they're building more floors to these places. The new baseball stadium. Down Third Avenue, uh, 16 new restaurants are coming within the next 10 months to this neighborhood, um, including four new coffee shops. And I learned last week, a chocolate shop, which I'm excited about because they took the cocoa tree away from us, but we're getting a coffee shop back. Um, Properties that used to sell for $75,000 are now selling for upwards of $300,000 in four to five years. That has happened in this neighborhood. Yet at the same time, in spite of the real estate explosion and success and development, poverty still remains a big deal in this neighborhood. Homelessness still remains a big deal in this neighborhood. The women's shelter is still at capacity in this neighborhood. Crime still flourishes, and you could even argue if it's even gotten more. The petty crime has increased more in the neighborhood over the last three years because there's more money coming to the neighborhood. Kind of makes sense. The most startling statistic that I've discovered is that the 37208 zip code, the one that our building is in right now, the one that you're in right now, this zip code is the second highest zip code for infant mortality rate in America from conception to one year of age second highest infant mortality rate here than any other zip code in America, except one. Yet there's 255 healthcare companies in our city, including the world's largest two. And there's hospitals everywhere, medical students everywhere. Yet this is still an issue. So what that tells me is that we are here for such purposes. That we are here to be the hands and feet to these people. And to love on Nashville, this neighborhood, Nashville, your street, my street, for such a time as this. That God, through his providence, in considering the scope of time that we would experience, placed us here at this very pivotal point in the life of Nashville. I mean, think about it. Nashville hasn't seen what it's seen ever like this. And yet we are here in the middle of this explosion, in the middle of the city, in the heart of the city for such a time as this. I am very excited, one, to be here, two, to be five years old in here, three, to have a very optimistic future about our existence here in this city for such a time as this. Five years ago, um, we we gathered for the very first time um, this month at Morgan Park Community Center at 411 Hume Street. All right, here's a picture. This is the building that we first gathered in five years ago, Um, specifically the building to the right, that red brick. um, That's at the corner of Hume and Fifth. Inside that is this shot, and that's where we first gathered, all 12 of us. Um, And the mantle on the right is where I took my TV from my living room every Sunday, and I would put it up on there, and I would plug in an HDMI cable to my my little MacBook and I would run PowerPoint, um, so that all 11 others could, uh, sing along with me and, uh, and our friend Keith and his guitar. Um, I'm not exaggerating it. That's how it was. Um, so I would like run PowerPoint and be like, okay, now it's time to preach. All right. Sit down. You know, um, I want to tell a funny story, but my wife, oh, I'll tell you, um, <laughs> the first service didn't get this one. Do you know what I'm going to say? our very first gathering, what happened? Remember? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's awkward. This is terrible. I'm going to. Okay. So our very first gathering that we didn't have this. What? No, 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 no. Um, please. No. Um, we didn't have this. Uh, we had something more like this. Um, it's not as big, right? And um, it was roughly right here. And <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you all this. It's so weird. Um, and I had on a, a black button-up shirt, and uh, it was rather short. Um, and I was a little bit bigger, so it was kind of like out a little. And uh, no one told me the whole time my zipper was down. No one. And as I'm as I'm speaking, it's like I do this, and my shirt comes up, and it's like, oh, his zipper. There it is again. And as if as if it's not awkward enough to have a big guy sweating, talking about this vision that God's given to plant a church here in a group of like nine and 10 other people. That's kind of, I mean, it's awkward, right? Like this is church. There's 10 of us. Now it's time for communion. You know, it's just kind of this odd, much less when his zipper is down and no one's telling him. Like, I felt like I got thrown under the bus. It's like, you know, we're trying to have a culture of honesty here. If you could just tell me say, Hey, take five seconds. Take care of that and we'll listen. But no one, there's no way that they listen to what I'm saying. Uh, Anyway, that's not scripted. That will be taken out from the podcast. Um, All right. So during this time together, it was so cold during the winter. I remember people, their, their breath as they were talking, as they were just breathing. It was so cold they didn't have to talk. It was just steam coming out of their nostrils and their mouth. So cold. I'm up there just pouring sweat. Okay. (laughs) True story. And everybody, it's probably 40 degrees or cooler. Not good insulation in the place. No heating and air. But despite how cold it was, a man named Gilbert came for probably about three or four weeks. He was a unemployed electrician and he got saved on December 6th, 2009. And uh, he was the very first man um, that followed Jesus as a result of the Axis Church that we know of. And uh, I don't know what he's doing right now. Um, I, I believe he ended up going down to North Carolina to find a job. Um, but it was a magnificent, it's a magnificent memory seeing Gilbert. Not only was it cold during the winter, but it was hot during the summer. Um, we, we outgrew that, that little room and moved to the gymnasium so you're in this huge gym and we're just in the corner, okay? We didn't use dry uh, pipe, pipe and drape. We just had chairs and we were in the corner and that's how we rolled. And, uh, and it was one of those services where we believe, I wanna say the thermostat said like 104 degrees. Um, I'd say it's nine, 98% sure that it was 104 degrees. Um, and I sweat when it's 40. I really sweat when it's 70. There's not a word to describe what happens when it's 104 and I'm in jeans and boots and I'm in a gymnasium with no moving air. So I understand why I did this, but this is the truth of what happened. We had one of our uh, worship, lead- he was our worship leader, solo guy with his guitar that was going to be leading that night. He comes in, connects everything up, gets his gear out, puts everything up and walks out the door. And I think it was Jacob that says, Hey, uh, what, what's going on? He's like, it's too hot. We just kept going. Never came back to Axis. Um, and we're just like, well, what, what are we going to do? Uh, and I think Jacob got with one of our friends, Jeremy, and they had an acoustic guitar, and we just rolled with it. It's like, we'll just go with it, you know? Um, but it was through that awesome experience um, and a lot of other things like that that we realized, man, we need a place. We need something permanent, the setup, tear down, is exhausting, especially in the rain or the extreme heat or extreme cold. Um, we, we need something that's just ours. Um, we need something that's predictable um, and climate controlled. Um, so we, we found this building um, and we've been here for three and a half years. The first several weeks we didn't have a bathroom and so you had to go to the gas station um, so literally, you would hold it as long as you could, and then you would leave, and that was it. Because by the time you got back, we would be finished. Um, but this is the building uh, whenever we first got in, uh, except we took an awesome red awning off that was deplorable. Um, but that's the outside. You can keep rolling. This uh, this is from the men's bathroom, looking at the front door. There were no walls there. Um, those are the front, the front door, the windows. There's Pastor Jacob looking at uh, there used to be a wall right here where these pillars are, and everybody will be facing that way um, towards that piece of wall. And so Jacob is standing in the HVAC area looking that way. Um, and then that's looking from about this pillar where Daniel, where you are, looking that way at that door. This is our first gathering. Um, I believe that's Kayla, Pastor Jacob's wife, sitting on a roll of insulation. Um, <laughs> I can't remember who that is laying on the blanket. Uh, there were a lot of other people around the very front sitting on blankets. You had to bring your own lawn chair. Uh, we had candles though. Um, we had awesome candles um, and chairs. Um, but I, I, and I remember people having a, finding two uh, ladders and throwing some wood slats on the steps and forming a bench of the, uh, on there in the very back. Um, but it's amazing what's happened even through this space as we've worked together to create a home for us to gather in uh, on Sundays and throughout the week. It's incredible. I show you those things to just celebrate the faithfulness of the Lord. And then we have pictures of our church family. Um, That's Miss Vanessa. She was here at our first service. We love her. Man, we love that lady. She lives on 4th. That's a shot from our Advent uh, celebration. That's our Easter when we had the full uh, band. Um, and then we have our Easter ensemble from one of our Easter gatherings. And that's Clay cornet praying over the kids before they're sent out. Communion shot. Love that picture. Baptisms, which we're going to have today. It's going to be awesome. And something you may not realize is um, we take water from the baptismal pool, and we put them in little jars and put people's names uh, and date, and we seal it with like a maker's mark type of wax, and uh, and we give a bottle to everyone who's baptized. There's our collection. So we, we get two. Uh, one is given to those who are baptized as a as a way to remember, and then we keep one. So that's the ones that we have in Jess's office, uh, and we're going to display them somehow. But the concept comes from when God told um, his children uh, to uh, gather stones of remembrance as they moved across uh, through the river. It says, hey, grab an Ebenezer stone is what it's called um, as a way of remembering so that when future generations ask you, hey, what's that rock? Oh, that's when God delivered us. And you can tell the excellencies of your God, right? Similar concept, Ebenezer bottles type of deal. Um, So that'll even happen for the four people that are baptized today. Um, we did our party in the park, which we've got some pictures from there. All this is just part of our story, part of our history. Um, we do a big party in the neighborhood every year, um, serving it, uh, serving food to the community, just have an opportunity to to hang out with them, have a conversation with them. That's our Monday night sermon prep group uh, with some men of the Axis. And that's the some of our faithful uh, going out to West Virginia uh, to raise money for AWAP. Um, it's just really neat to to see some of those pictures and and celebrate. Um, A couple people um, that have really uh, made an impact on my life um, are are two men. Uh, One's here today, and uh, I share with his permission these things, Uh, but another is named uh, Chuck. Well, he's known as Guitar Chuck or Charles. Um, he's always talking about music and he's always playing his air guitar when you talk to him. He's just, he, he loves his gospel tunes and um, he, uh, he's, he's, he's a slightly disabled uh, because of a, a head injury. Um, and he's been a very dear friend of ours um, through, uh, through the years, uh, probably four years. And um, we've, we helped him uh, set up a financial account so that he could uh, withdraw money uh, that he would be given um, in order to pay for rent, and uh, so we actually helped him get get a home. Uh, probably about three years ago, um, he's he stops by often. There he is with Grant, uh, nice beard, Grant. And uh, but it's just it's, he's a blessing. Um, then also uh, my brother Ernest, um, he's here today, uh, and uh, he's been with us for over four years. Uh, He's here almost every Sunday and, uh, he never disturbs. He participates with us. He's lived all around the city and he always makes it a point to be near us because he values us and we value him. He loves us and we love him. I love his words of encouragement, um, where he'll come up to me and, uh, he'll say before the service, he'll say, all right, pastor Jeremy, bring the heat. And I'm like, all right, Ernest, I will, I will. And then afterwards, he'll say, uh, it's good, you're getting better. (laughs) Keep up the good work. And I'm like, all right, we will. And then we'll hug and uh, love on each other. And and he's just become a very dear friend of mine. He and Chuck both have some words that we have on video that I'd like to share uh, now. So check out the screens. that means a lot. I'm glad we are here. It's so fun. I didn't know this was a church. So I in here, I played a couple of my gospel songs that I wrote. And I said, I'm so everybody. And if they showed so much love, i was just so glad to be here. To have good people. People that really Lord the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, fill up the Holy Spirit, it's encouraging, isn't it? I think it is. Ernest, I love you, brother. I'm glad you're with us, man. It's, you know, it's not only do, do I love that we're here in this neighborhood um, for those who um, have need that we can help with, but also for those who have the ability to help those in need. I'm thrilled to be a part of this community for such a time as this, where there is urban renewal, where there is urban growth, where there are condos and restaurants and a ballpark and coffee shops, where there's just so much excitement, it seems, in this community. And I know that by God's providence, He has us here in the middle of all this for such a time as this. You know, a lot has changed. I showed you the logo that. Yes, I'm really glad that our logo changed. Um, our location has changed. The time that we've gathered has changed. Some of our verbiage has changed as as a church, but one thing hasn't changed. And Ashley Deal pointed this out in her video: is by God's grace, we still believe in Jesus. We're still Christians. Jesus is keeping us Christians. He's growing our body of believers weekly. He's producing in us good works that he set forth beforehand that we would walk in them and we're experiencing his faithfulness and his nearness through the Holy Spirit's work in us and through us. By God's grace, we celebrate Jesus and we make much of him every Sunday. We intentionally have a man, Pastor Jacob, typically every Sunday come before you and say, here's why we're here. That's not just coincidental. That's because if we don't state our purpose in gathering, we will easily drift to other things. And so we declare, it is a declaration that we make every Sunday. Welcome to the Axis Church. We're gathering to make much of Jesus. Because if we don't do that, if we don't say these things, they will be assumed and they, we will begin to drift. And I don't want that to happen for the sake of my soul, for the sake of your soul, for the sake of what God wants to do in our city. So by God's grace, we still make much of Jesus five years in. By God's grace, he's working through us in these ways. We know that a church can never really make a big impact in someone's life and of themselves. At best, we can tweak someone's life. But God, through his spirit, can resurrect a man's life, a woman's life from death. He can stop their funeral and he can bring them to life and bring them to a church community and let them flourish and we know this. This is only make much of him instead of much of ourselves. You know, contrary to postmodern thought, the Bible teaches that life is best understood through a meta-narrative, through a big story. And that big story in Scripture, when, when you process life through that story, through that grand narrative, that big idea, uh, it makes the most sense, I believe. And Scripture gives that to us. You see, our story begins with creation, with the sovereign, all-powerful God, and it continues through the fall of humanity into sin, and then the redemption of sinners through the substitutionary work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. And then our story promises that all those who by faith believe and trust and hope in Jesus Christ, that they will be redeemed and they will live with God forever and ever and ever throughout eternity in paradise. That's the message that we preach. This is a glorious, world-changing truth story that we get to focus on every single Sunday. This is where I hope that we stay in present tense all the time. The more faithful we are to this grand story, the safer we will be as we move forward the more God-glorifying we will be as we move forward and the most helpful we will be to our city as we move forward. We cannot drift from this truth. We cannot drift from focusing on Jesus Christ above all things, pursuing the glory of his father above all things. We can't. But if we assume it, we will every time. If we take our hands off the steering column, we will every time. We've put it on cruise control, we'll drift every time because we don't have perfect alignment. We must focus to stay here on these important truths. I want to give you, as we consider this grand narrative, I want you just to have four paradigms here, four concepts, categories, um, to be able to remember this grand story. It's creation, fall, redemption, recreation. In creation, everything was perfect, everything was at ease. Creator and creation, perfect unity, perfect harmony. Everything is, whenever you feel like just something's not right, a lot of that comes from being a fallen individual wanting to experience something better. That longing for something better is a longing to be like things used to be in the garden. Where Adam and Eve had perfect friendship, buddies, relationship, with God. But then, in one rebellious act, humanity fell out of a relationship with God, and catastrophic was the fall. Creation, fall. This fall affected everything. Separation now replaces unity, hostility replaces peace, death replaces life, friends replaces enemies, replaces. Friends, everything was affected. The fall changed everything. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not working in the sons of disobedience, among whom, without exception, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Summarizing here, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And there's no amount of work that any of us could do or can do to escape our situation, to change or alter our situation. Without a sufficient savior, death is guaranteed every time. And through the eye of God, through the eye of the creator God, the all-powerful God, looking at humanity in their rebellion, celebrating their rebellion against him, Death is deserved. Considering it through his lens at us, that's just. That's justice because of our rebellious sin, our decisions, and our nature. Everything is affected. And so we inherit our sin nature from our first representatives, our first parents, Adam and Eve. And now we are sinners by birth and by choice. We're born into sin and then now as adults, as people, we can't help but sin. We sin really well and we get creative with it. We sin by doing wrong things as well as not doing the right things. We experience sin when people sin against us. We experience sin when we fail to obey and do things rightly. We experience sin when we don't obey perfectly, when we disobey. And these sins aren't ultimately against each other or against us in creation or against others against us, but these sins are ultimately, the Bible teaches, all against God. And so because they're against God, if there was to be any hope of reconciliation, if there was to be any chance at all, any opportunity for that relationship to be restored, it would have to be if God would take the initiative to come our way. If he would move towards us. Because there's nothing we could do to change our situation. Nothing. But there is absolutely no plausible cause, reason at all for God to do that. It doesn't make sense. He created it. We destroyed it. We don't deserve for him to recreate it. So there's no reason why he should help us. We intentionally have rebelled. So I want you to feel this hopelessness and despair of our situation because it's when you grow in the knowledge of the despair of our hopelessness outside of Christ, then you have a reason to celebrate Christ. But if you were pretty good, then celebrating his redemption, let's there's, there's, kind of get old pretty quick, but if you were dead and helpless and hopeless, and if there was any life, it was that of a hater and a child of wrath and an enemy, then you have a lot to celebrate if your situation changed. You with me? So consider that despair and then hear these words. For God so loved that world that he created who rebelled against him, intentionally flaunting their sin before him, intentionally trying to make themselves as he is, better than him even, making themselves out to be gods, that world. For God so loved that world. For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting, eternal life. You won't die, but you'll get life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's crazy. That's, I mean, we, we are, we deserve wrath. We deserve Death we are rebels. We are magnificent sinners. There's no way for us to get out of our mess, but God took action, merciful, gracious action, but God comes in, but God being rich in mercy, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, Even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that God made us alive together with Christ because of his great love, because of his being rich in mercy. He makes us alive together with Christ. Don't forget, it's by grace that you are saved. And not only that, but he's raised us up with him and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming eons, that's the Greek word eon right there, eons and eons and ages and ages forever and ever, he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. In Jesus Christ and what he has done for us for by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your own doing but it's the gift of God it's not a result of anything that you can do so that you would not boast about that for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them This God moving towards us and giving us hope through his son, that's the redemption piece. Creation, fall, redemption. This is where God comes and he does change our situation. He does bring hope. He lived perfectly as our representative. He died our death absorbing the wrath that's due us and our sin. He comes in as our substitute and takes that upon himself. And then we... Experience conquering death through his resurrection. First Peter puts it this way: He himself bore our sins on the tree in his body so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's we're healed by his wounds. It's by his wounds you are healed. He takes wounds so that your wounds are healed. You are healed because he takes wounds. Isaiah even unpacks it as it's his stripes. By his stripes, you are healed. Jesus died to kill sin. Jesus died to kill death. And he brings us back into relationship and friendship with God. Redemption. 1 Peter continues in in chapter 3. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's what he was doing in his life and his death and his resurrection. The cross happened in order for God to bring glory to himself by sending Jesus, his son, who did live perfectly without sin, in order to redeem and love a people for his own possession who would joyfully make much of him throughout all eternity. The cross happened because it was the only way possible for you to have hope of getting out of the mess of sin. It was the only hope for you ever being able to glorify God and be in relationship with him again. The father crushed the son instead of crushing you. We all deserve the cross, yet Jesus endured it for us. Paul says this in Colossians 2, and you who were dead in your trespasses, God has made alive together with him. How? Having forgiven us, Our sins and trespasses by canceling the record of debt. That's our sin. That record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands of falling, uh, of failing at the law. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, on the cross, Jesus absorbs the wrath of God that was due our sin, that's towards us and our sin. And he gives us his righteousness. So he stands as condemned, and yet he makes us, he gives us his righteousness. It's what theologians consider the great exchange. In 2 Corinthians 5 puts it, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in that verse means good enough to be in relationship with God. Speaking of perfection. Because he took our place in his life, and he took our place in his death, and he took our place in the resurrection, destroying death. So now, as a result of this, God the Father, on the cross, God the Father's looking at his perfect, precious, priceless Son as if he had lived our filthy, detestable guilt ridden, sin-stained lives that we've lived. And for those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior, now God the Father looks at us as if we have lived the perfect son's life, the precious son's life, the priceless life of one who is holy without sin. He looks at us this way. This is what the Bible considers our justification. Being made righteous, declared righteous before God. Which results in the recreation. Restored back to God. The best news of the good news of the gospel is that we get God back. I know there's a lot of benefits that so many other... I mean, I've, I've, I've preached it in the past before that there's a lot of benefits to being a Christian. A lot of people focus on a lot of things and very rarely is it preached that in the big idea of salvation is you get God back. But that is the biggest deal is you get God back and you can celebrate him and make much of him as your loving, redeeming father who cares to rescue you. And you get to be back in relationship with him. That is the best thing. What makes heaven awesome is God's there take everything that's wonderful about heaven and remove him. It's nothing. It's absolute despair and darkness. God is what makes heaven wonderful. God is what makes salvation wonderful. His spirit indwells us and his spirit works in us, recreating us, making us more and more into the image of his son. It's beautiful. This is why we work to never, ever, ever get beyond our appreciation, our worship, and adoration of Jesus, because he was the means by which God the Father used to unite us with himself, reunite us with himself. We deserve death, but we get life. And we get life because Jesus took our place and did the heavy lifting for us. Our sin, our failure, our rebellion against God, God deals with in his son in order to make us his. Jesus suffered in order for us to be welcomed to the father. There was no other option. There was no other way. Jesus doing this was our only hope. The gospel says that God comes after us in our rebellion and in our sin and he rescues us, that we choose death, but he chooses life instead for us. A beautiful truth of the gospel is that God rescues people from their own mess. This is what the cross tells us. God does not help those who help themselves. Dead people can't help themselves. God goes after failures and sinners like me and like you, who intentionally try not to help themselves. We do our best to run away, and yet God comes after us. (laughs) We run from God, yet God runs even further and faster. Our rebellion is strong, yet God is stronger still. And all of our running and all of our disobedience has led us to a place where we can't go any further. And the only way out is to be rescued. Jesus is that rescuer. My prayer is that you would believe him, that you would cherish him, and that he would be our mantra and he would be all and all here in our lives, in the life of our church. I want to end with a reading from Colossians one, and I'm replacing personal pronouns with the word Jesus when it applies. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. You kind of get a sense that he's the big deal, right? Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, speaking of his resurrection, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent, tops, priority. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus's cross. And you and me, who are once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, Jesus has now reconciled in his own body of flesh by his death in order to present you good enough. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Jesus. This is the good news of who Jesus is. This is what we must never drift from. This is what we must never take our hands off the steering wheel and allow us to go away. It must always be set focusing on this. This is the central message that I want to always be a part of our culture and be spoken and be sung and be preached everything about Jesus. This is the center of our message. Jesus Christ is Savior. He was crucified for sinners He was raised by the power of God, and he is coming again. He's coming again in glory, and he's coming again in judgment. And even now, he is seated and he is ruling at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. This is our message. This is our hope. And my prayer is that we as a church will continue to press into the wonderful privilege of making much of this Jesus and keeping him central to all things in our lives And all things in the church. And that more and more each day, our church will be a little bit more obedient and a little bit more like Jesus. And us who make up the church family, that we will become a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit more obedient as we work with Him and His Spirit works through us each and every day. I love you guys. Happy birthday. I wanna pray and ask Jesus to help us in these ways. And then we're gonna celebrate in communion, we're gonna celebrate in baptism. Happy birthday. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for keeping us, Lord, um, for growing us. Thank you for not allowing us, Lord, um, to drift too far without calling us back over these last five years. Lord, thank you for revealing to us what is most important. Thank you for, uh, Lord, your faithfulness to not allow us to destroy what it is that you want to do here. Thank you for your stubborn, stubborn love and purposes that you just seem to be so determined to carry out here at this church, regardless of how we seem to mess up. Thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I do pray that we stay in this present tense of focusing on you every moment of our life, every moment of our church, and the future will take care of itself so long as we keep our eyes on you. Lord, keep the distractions away. Will we set our, will we set our gate and our, and our eyes fast on you? God, protect us from, from falling away. Where well, we want to be here for years to come, and we want to be a source of hope in many ways. But most importantly, that we will be the place where people find hope of being in relationship with you. God, help us do magnificent things through these people. Thank you for the magnificent things you've done with us. And Lord, thank you that you've done so much work that we can't mess this up. There's not height nor depth nor any such thing that can separate us from this love. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.